so that the world can change, so that people can be renewed and cared for. And so we're digging into that this morning, and I just want to read uh, for us as we start just a, an interesting kind of touch, touching on one interesting thing that happens here at the end of our Genesis study in Genesis 11. And if you remember, there was a, uh, there's a tower that was built, right? And, and when that tower was built, God confused their languages because what they really wanted to do was to live without God. And then there's this moment here. I just want to read the Lord uh, in verse eight, the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the, all the earth. And they, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So he scatters them, right? And so in a study, when we're thinking about how God works in and through us, and we're talking specifically about hospitality and the generosity of the host. If you remember last week, we talked about the king who is eager to fill the hall. And the question is, we left off in Genesis, how does God begin to gather the scattered ones? And the answer is through this place and these people. God begins almost immediately to lay out his hospitality in all the world to welcome the scattered people, to gather them in through his servant. In verse 31 of Genesis, it said this, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son together from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled therefore. They settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Where Genesis 11 ends is pointing to the very first, after Noah, the very first gathering servant who will lay the groundwork for all kinds of gathering servants to follow. Abram, the imperfect, maybe the unlikeliest of all gatherers. How does God instruct us through that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, would you help us to know what you would have us know this morning? That you would teach us by your spirit what it means to be your people that gather. Not just your people that dwell, but your people that gather. God, would you instruct us that we might be more like you? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So in last week's parable, we saw that the host, he sends out his servants. Sends them out into the world. He sends them out to gather up these people into the hall. And we start to think, well, who are the servants really, right? One pastor in particular calls the church that gathering servant. And I think that's true. I think all of us together as God's people, as the church we are the, the ones who go out into the alleys. We are the ones who go out and we gather, as God said through a word last week, both the good and the bad. Right? So the story of the church is the story of God's hospitality fleshed out. And so this morning we're celebrating, at the end of this series, we're celebrating the church of Jesus Christ. And what God intends to do through it. We're celebrating the church of Jesus Christ as the epitome of God's hospitality in the world. So you have to admire, I at least have to admire people who immediately 
put things back together after they're broken. You know, we see right here, God scatters them and, and almost immediately the word digs into God's gathering again. He's, he's broken down everything that was supposed to be built at this point. The tower is scattered. The people are scattered and he starts to rebuild it, right? One thing that you'll never see in my house, I can guarantee you one thing you will never find in my house is a ship in a bottle. All right. And the reason why you'll never see a ship in a bottle in my house is because building a ship in a bottle requires one very important skill. That is the ability to fail multiple times again and again and again in short succession, because you can't just leave all the stuff there. You have to keep trying and failing. Did you know that building a ship in a bottle requires you to drill holes into something as tiny as a toothpick so that you can pull thread through, grab hold of the mast, shove the boat into the bottle, and pull it open? And can you imagine how many times... God's beginning the work of gathering again. Thank you. God is beginning the work of gathering again. The very first servant since Noah. Now, as plans go, God gathering through these people, as plans go, this seems to me an unlikely plan. This is like, you know, trusting in the people of the church to be his gathering servants. We need to have a sense of humor about that. It's a little bit like, you know, you take your taxes to an accountant, you know, you take your taxes to a, an accounting firm and all of the accountants are composed of former, you know, circus clowns, professional clowns. You know, it might be entertaining, but you don't necessarily want them to do the work, right? And in the same way in the church, you and I are those people. God has pulled us in, not because we're particularly good at it. In most of our worlds, institutions are built by people that have, what's it called, um, proficiency, technique. If you want to lay bricks, you get somebody who's laid bricks before. If you want somebody to watch your taxes, you get somebody who's done taxes before. We have people in this room who are employed in medicine. In general, those are the people you want to get your medical advice from, not the internet, okay? People who have done it before. So as you see it, and as I see it, we can't possibly be the gatherers of God. Look at us. How can you gather anyone when your life is a scattered mess? When you're past, you're still trying to figure out how your past became what it was. You're still trying to put the pieces together. 
And the present is an assortment of things that you can't put in place where you want to. You spend your days sometimes feeling exhausted. Starting to watch a television show and falling asleep ten minutes in, right? You're tired. Or even the future that seems even more daunting. How am I going to get to where I need to go? How am I going to gain the credentials I need? How am I going how am I going to jettison my children into a career one day? I'm going to make it to retirement. How am I going to live in my physical, emotional, mental decline? How am I going to live life? And yet, we're called to gather, even though we feel scattered ourselves. I think it's important to say that. These are the servants. The hospitality of God is worked out for people like us who are scattered. This is where we have to begin. So we may be gathering servants, which is what God calls us in the church, but it doesn't mean that we're professionals. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul starts off this great book. And by the way, uh, if you read through the books of Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, one of the things that you'll recognize, especially in 2 Corinthians, is that no one talks about weakness like the Apostle Paul talking about his weakness. He wrote as much as two-thirds of the New Testament. He's been all over the world professing the gospel in the overwhelming way, without exception, seemingly, that he describes himself is weak. 1 Corinthians 1, he starts his letter out this way. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. This is a very inspirational speech, right? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why. And because of Him, because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, as an aside, if you're thinking about this, challenged by this, please do feel free to send questions. I'll, I'll spend some time after the sermon answering those anonymous questions via text. So we tell the story of the strength of God in us. That's, that's how we gather. And we do that when we're kind of the epitome of weakness. At least that's what Paul seems to think. When we tell people about how we're really getting our lives together, right, on Sunday in the parking lot, and then on the way out we, we back into a car, right? That's how people know that the power is of God and not of us. You can't do the work of God. You can't be the gatherers of God and be committed, hear me, and be committed to perfectionism at the same time. You can't do it. You cannot be committed to the cause of God and committed to perfectionism at the same time. You will fail. Only the needy qualify. Only the needy will qualify to, to give a message of grace. The non-needy, 
the professional who talks about grace is condescending. They're telling the rest of us, well, you really need Jesus. I don't need Jesus, but obviously you do, right? We don't stand for that. We don't like that. In the same way God calls the needy to talk about what it's like to be the needy receiving grace from God. So if we're going to be those who gather people, we have to start from that point. We have to start from a place of needing God and being able to talk about grace as people who have experienced grace. But that's only half the story, okay? Half the story is the fact that we are ill-equipped. But the other part of this story is that we are massively equipped by God. In ourselves, we are ill-equipped. In God, we are not ill-equipped. The gathering servants of God, here's how God talks about them. He says that by these people, he will build his kingdom. And that his kingdom will not lose when confronted with the gates of hell. Gates of hell will not prevail against us. Against the kingdom of God moving out into the world. The gates of hell, mental illness, poverty, war, disease, dread, affluence that makes you sick in the heart, none of these things will prevail against the kingdom of God. How is that possible? Nehemiah, some of you have been reading through, I, I want to mention this because some of you have been reading through the, uh, the community Bible reading schedule and we've been talking a little bit about the, the rebuilding of the temple. We've been reading about it in uh, Zechariah, Zephaniah, and Nehemiah. And I just wanted to mention this one uh, verse from Nehemiah chapter 1 because I think it gives a great picture of God's commitment to use us as his gatherers, okay? Here's what he says. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts, listen, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them into the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Listen to God's commitment. Though they are in the uttermost, I will gather them in. This is God's commitment. This is why he uses, this is how he uses people like us. The gathering servants of God are underskilled, undertrained, enthusiastic, sometimes risk-averse, nearsighted. We have the spiritual version of seasonal affection, uh, effectiveness disorder, right? We have that kind of heart. And yet God says, I will gather from the uttermost through my gathering servant. We say to Jesus, God, you've called us to gather with holes in our pockets. We are weak. Jesus' response to that is to say, go out into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. God's response is to not be daunted by our weakness. But his response also isn't, well, try harder. <laughs> what is his response? Now, the great equalizer, okay, when, when we look at our weakness, we're trying to think, how, do we, how are we going to gather as God's people? How are we going to do this, right? The great equalizer, spiritually speaking, is uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You may have forgotten about the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, God himself, at work to equip 
to transform. As a matter of fact, as soon as the church is gathered together in Jerusalem, God brings tongues of fire to lay upon each person to show that they had a message that would set the world aflame. This first group of disciples, of apostles gathered before they're to go out into all the world telling people about the kingdom of God. God gives them tongues of fire. God shows that he's going to be at work. The third person of the Trinity himself is going to carry us forward. Praise God for God, the Holy Spirit. Praise him that he gives us a Holy Spirit, that he himself is at work. That's the great equalizer spiritually, right? In, in, the, in the spiritual places, the things we, we, we kind of only barely understand. Here's the other equalizer. The way that we become gathering servants, humanly speaking, is perseverance. Persevering, which is never something you really want to hear. You know, my plan for you is that you may persevere. On one hand, that sounds good. I'm going to survive. On another hand, you think persevering means there's challenge and I don't like that. God's people, his church, they gather by persevering. So I want to talk about how that looks. Here's the skill that we need to develop. Okay, Christians have have gathered by refusing to be stopped. They've gathered by refusing to walk away from the mission of God. They've gathered by viewing that obedience is a long story, that the kingdom is a long story. You know, you've, you've probably read stories about how one person lays the foundation of a cathedral and six generations later, their relative hangs the stained glass, you know, to finish it. Generations pass. God blesses those long-term, difficult works. And sometimes, this is something we have to say, we're going to talk about the skill of perseverance, then we have to start by saying, sometimes perseverance is going to break your heart. Sometimes the process of persevering is going to hurt. The transit of uh, Venus across the sun, it, it, it happens predictably about every 121 or 108 years. There's an eight-year gap in between where uh, Venus goes in front of the sun between us and the sun and we can see it travel across the sun and then it happens again eight years later okay transit of Venus every 120 ish years passes before us and then it happens again eight years later that's that's its orbit now from the earth we can see that we can see it pass in the Victorian age in the, the in the 1800s there was a race for people to capture for people to to get a glimpse of Venus passing in front of the sun and between us. And so there were astronomers that were sent, dozens of astronomers sent all over the world. They were given a place to go and set up observation. And once they were there, they were supposed to measure from their vantage point what it, what it was like for Venus to pass, how long it took, and so on, what was the angle of its passing, so on and so forth. Their goal was to learn more about our orbit. Their goal was to learn more about God's universe and how it worked. My favorite of those astronomers, they all have these stories. You know, they, this is back in the day when, you, you know, you had to cross the, the tundra or the frontier to set up your observatory. Well, uh, uh, there's one astronomer in particular whose story kind of gets me. Uh, his name was Guillaume. Guillaume Le Gentil. I butchered that, guaranteed. Guillaume, he sets out a year before the transit, Okay. This is how perseverance can break your heart. He sets out a year before the transit. This is a guy who sets out his clothes two days in advance. You know what I mean? This is somebody who knows what they're doing. He leaves everything he's doing. Imagine what it was like to leave everything you're doing 
for a year so that you could observe something happening for four hours. He leaves, travels across the ocean. He runs into storms, he runs into to all kinds of barriers, uh, shipwreck, other things that are happening as he's on his way over there. He's watching the time, he's realizing he's not going to make it. And the transit happens while he's still on a ship. And you can't measure these things while you're on a ship, right? Because the ship is pitching. So you can't really, you can't take measurements that way. So there was a year of prep that was gone. An entire year of process was lost. So he did what every super type A manic person will do. He said, I'm going to continue on to my point of observation and I'm going to wait there for eight years until the next pass. Okay, this is perseverance. So he heads on. He gets to his place. He sets up his observatory. He waits eight years to observe. On the day of observation, it is a beautiful day. Cloudless. Glorious. He's set up. Nothing's going to happen. He is ready to go. He has waited eight years for this. And at the time of observation, you can imagine a cloud passes between him and the sun. And it lasts for four hours. Which was the exact amount of time Venus was in transit. And he went home, having not made his observation. And when he got home, which took about a year, he found that his extended relatives had had him declared legally dead and had plundered his estate. That is a story of perseverance, of work. Sometimes does not end the way we want it to. Not all of our stories of seeking to follow God will, equal, will be equally as dismal. Let's hope. But, if we get into our heads that science happens without ever failing, without, experiencing, without, without uh, uh, experiments yielding nothing, right? If we get into our minds that somehow it's possible to, to advance as a civilization without ever failing, if we get into our minds that it's possible to be spiritual creatures, to follow God, to advance His kingdom without ever experiencing massive failure, we are never going to get to where God's calling us. And what I could not promise Guillaume, but what I can promise you, is that the work you do to chart the progress of the kingdom and to push it forward, no matter how frustrated it may be, is a part of a beautiful future that you bring, you help to bring into existence. And the crazy places you are, where you seek to persevere, where you seek to welcome, where you suffer, and you continue to follow Jesus. Where you suffer and you continue to follow Jesus. You are part of a story that will not end. Will not end in failure. All of us are a part of a much bigger transit. The kingdom of God going from one thing to the next. Transforming our world. The future of God is what we're looking at. And we're doing all of our work in the world as we seek to bring it forward. And sometimes it is going to break your heart. I cannot take that idea out of it. I can't remove that possibility from it. Sometimes it's going to happen. Just think about what it had to have been like, right? Just, 
Just imagine the ways in which sometimes we can fail in this work. You know, if you're a scientist, your fruit flies escape. They run away. You got to try and gather them. You know, I when Laura and I, one of the first times we met each other and we hung out is when she lost all of her fruit flies in her experiment as in organic chemistry. And she's trying to kind of grab all these things together. And I'm there helping her. And there's no hope here right at this point. But this is the stuff that happens. Sometimes your fruit flies escape. Sometimes your prayers seem to go unanswered. Your neighbors don't become Christian. Your children rebel despite long hours of love and care and prayer and your perfect parenting. You trust a church or a pastor and they betray your trust. What do you do? Gathering servants have to expect that when they go out into the alleys where the king sends them, When they go in and they gather the good and the bad, sometimes that process is going to end dismally. It's going to hurt. Perseverance is a skill we're going to have to learn. I I like to think about what Guillaume experienced for those four hours. When that cloud passed in front of him as he's waiting to observe, I'm just trying to imagine. I mean, I would be amazed if he could just stoically sit there for the four hours and wait for it to pass and notice that it didn't. But I imagine there were some choice words in French, right? I imagine that there were some choice emotions. There were some moments when he felt like, how is it possible, whether he was a religious man or not, I guarantee there were some prayers that were being uttered during that time. Maybe you recited Psalm 22. Maybe you have. Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you hidden yourself from me? If we're going to gather people, I believe we have to have this kind of realism about what it means to follow Jesus. That perseverance is going to be necessary. When you gather people, when you talk to people who have struggled, people who are willing to listen to you, they're going to be willing to listen to you in part because they can see on your face that you have experienced what they have. The same long nights of the soul or as You know, Walt Ferris is fond of saying you've learned the language of suffering. You'll gain an audience by your scars. So what we've got to be willing to do is to host the stories of other people's suffering in the warmth of the mercy that we've received from God. The story of our own suffering has to host other people. In First and Second Corinthians, Paul gives us a message over and over again. He says, you extend mercy by the mercy you've received. The church gathers by extending the mercy it has received from God. Somehow we've turned Christianity into something where you aren't expected to suffer. And that's why it sometimes ends up irrelevant in a world where it's just one other idea among many others about how to make your life a little bit better. This is not what Christianity is for. I'm not going to try and and, 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 uh, be too cute here, but the reality is the last moments of Jesus on the cross, they occur also in shade. And you might wonder, you might think that that moment in the scriptures where Jesus on the cross, there's darkness over the earth. And you might think, what's an interesting kind of story? It's an interesting 
part of the story to cover. Well, there's darkness over the land. Yeah, because it's a bad thing. So obviously, you know, you think if somebody uh, passes on, sadly, you want it to rain. Well, clearly, you know, Jesus passing on on the cross, there should be darkness. But that's not what's going on. As a matter of fact, as darkness covers the earth, as Jesus is suffering on the cross and as he takes upon himself our sin, people who are watching think there's some weird pagan ritual happening. There's the, the, the earth is shaking. The gods are angry. And, 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 and those who are following God, those who, were, who, were, who, who had Jewish ancestry or those who had believed in Jesus started to see maybe, man, this is like the prophets when they said that, that God's judgment was going to cover the earth and it would be dark. Essentially what we're seeing is this is the picture of God's own perseverance for you. God perseveres for you. The Father perseveres in laying sin upon His Son on the cross. And the Son perseveres in receiving our sin. And we see the evidence of it in darkness that covers the earth. And what that means is that you and I are never the first to suffer or the worst of the suffering. We cannot out-suffer God. He's persevered for us. He's gone before us. There's this cloud. The darkness gives us evidence of God's own perseverance for you. So what do we do? We, we put on His stripes as signs of victory. As His people, we walk around wearing the wounds from Jesus. So that the people who are suffering around us know who the people are that know what it means to suffer. And who the people are that know that there's hope in the middle of suffering. That's the reason we're in our seats. That's the reason we're here against all odds. If there's a skill that we need to gain, it's the skill of having persevering hope. That's the skill. It will cost us dearly, but it's the only one that really speaks to a suffering world. You've been out in the ocean. You've received a life preserver. You've had to be saved. So be, get comfortable telling that story. Get comfortable telling that reality to other people. Host the weary person in the story of your own weary hope. If we don't engage in the story of Jesus that way, then it's not going to be a story worth hearing. We have to get comfortable in the story of our own persevering hope. I want to tell you a couple ways we do that. One is we need to grow in lamenting before God. Learning how to suffer well, being free to weep, really being free to weep, right? Bury yourself in confession and wonder. Teach our kids how to do the same thing when they're upset, when they're sad. Teach them to come to the Lord and tell the Lord that they're sad. When they're weary, teach them to come to the Lord and confess their weariness. Leave them in that way. Tell that story with them. When your child is just wounded, say, look, let's go to the Lord together and go to the Lord and say, Lord, we struggle and here's why. Model that. After grieving, here's the next one. Receive the grace from God. This is the pattern. We lament. Also receive the grace from God. Don't be like the person who weeps at their hunger. And then when the Lord opens wide the door, we stay on the outside because we're too proud to go in and eat. Because we think the Lord can't possibly want us at the table. It's a skill to lament. And it's a skill to receive grace from God. And we have to practice it. 
We need to rest in Him. And also, I want to tell you, don't waste the, the, these moments between battles. You know you have them. Like, there's those moments where, like, okay, yesterday was really tough, and tomorrow's going to be really tough, so today I'm just exhausted. I'm just going to rest, right? And I commend resting. That's a good thing. But try not to entertain or eat or distract your grief away. Don't ignore it. Be honest about it. Dig into it. You want to know a picture of how perseverance leads to gathering? I think Jesus gives it to us in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, if you're familiar in Luke 10, you've read it. The Good Samaritan goes out. Jesus tells the story. He's walking on the road to Jericho. He finds someone in a ditch. And the reason why I think this is a great picture of persevering hope is because he's a Samaritan. He's a half-breed at best by the good Jewish person of the day. He's received racial hatred and intolerance and oppression. And he's about to lose his stuff. He was on his way to something. And now he's going somewhere else. And then he takes a person and he takes him to an inn and he delivers him there. And he says this, he says, whatever it costs to help this person, I want to pay it. This is suffering. Out of his own suffering. You know what I'll bet he knew? I bet he knew what it was like to be in a ditch. And I'll bet he knew that the only way to get out of the ditch was not to eventually get your strength up and walk out of a ditch. I bet he knew that the only way to get out of a ditch is if somebody comes and takes you out of the ditch. So he went. He gathered. He gathered someone hurting. Gathered him up. And he had his wounds bound up and cared for. If we gather this way, okay? If we gather this way, Something shocking is going to happen. You know what's going to happen? We're going to meet the people of the Bible. Not like the actual people, okay? I, one day. But like right now, we're going to meet the kind of people in the Bible. We're going to meet the people who are half starved. Who are wholly discouraged. We're going to meet the, the women who show up and expect that no one's going to care about them. Because they're a woman. Like the woman who grabbed hold of Jesus' garment. We're going to have people in the room who can't believe that someone would listen to them. We're going to have like the man in the Gadarenes who cut himself because he was wearied by demons, right? He was wearied by oppression. We're going to have that kind of person show up in worship. We're going to have the people of the Bible showing up. Try not to be surprised when really outwardly, confessingly needy people show up. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Seattle, we were talking about this. And he told me about a guy that they called Cowboy Dan. I love that, by the way. I hope we have people in this church that have names like that. Cowboy Dan. That's a fantastic way to know somebody. His name was Cowboy Dan, and they called him Cowboy Dan because to church he wore his best every week. And do you know what he wore? This is what he had. He was homeless, former vet. He had cowboy boots and a kilt that he wore especially for church. Nowhere else. Cowboy Dan, boots and a kilt. And Cowboy Dan, as he was growing and continuing to hear the gospel and being challenged, one day he came to my friend and he said, David, I need you to take this. And he gave him a suitcase. And inside the suitcase, the suitcase was filled with pornography. Filled. And he said, David, I need you to throw this away from me. He was a new man. And so here was David, who was running a nice upstanding church in a nice suburban area, right? And there he is in the big trash can behind the church, 
opening up this suitcase. He could just throw the suitcase in because Cowboy Dan wanted the suitcase back, right? But he opens the suitcase and he's just digging out these videos and magazines and other things that as a pastor on a Sunday morning, you probably don't want to be found handling in any way, shape, or form, right? But this is what he's doing. He's pastoring a church. And this is the stuff that happens when you pastor a a church and Cowboy Dan's show up. Out of his woundedness, Dan becomes a link to the community around them. They start welcoming in the homeless. Dan's PTSD was so strong that he could only barely help with ministry. He had a little thing that he could do here and there, bit by bit, piece by piece. But he was transformed. Dan reconciled with his children. He moved to be near them. He died shortly after from cancer. But that's what happens when evangelism takes place in the church. When those with persevering hope gather people. Church is full of cowboy dance. If you're going to introduce them to Jesus, if you're going to talk about Jesus, expect this. Jesus' name means he saves me or he saves us. So if you're introducing people to Jesus, expect that you're going to be introducing them as someone who needs saving. Right? That's part of what happens. Isaiah 40 gives us this picture, and this is where I want to stop today. It's so beautiful that when God says, look, here's the job of the church. The gathering servant gets to speak in a world of darkness, brokenness, and pain, and he gets to speak into that world. The church gets to speak into that world and say, it's not going to end this way. Isaiah 40, verse 9, go up on a high mountain. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news or gospel, right? Herald of the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, and say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. And what does he do with that strength? Here's what he does. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is God's people. Who had been beaten and set aside, humiliated, ignored who had been dispersed and brought back, who had been failures 127 times. And God says, you go tell the story that I'm not done gathering people. This is the job of the church of Jesus. For most of the two millennium since Jesus came, if you were a traveler to a foreign land, you came in off of whatever road and uh, you had nothing to your name, the overwhelmingly, more than anything else, the one place you would look for if you were a traveler in a foreign land was not a travel station. It wasn't a, a chamber of commerce. It wasn't even a hostel. You would look for a church. Overwhelmingly, that's been the story until at least like the 1400s. Overwhelmingly, that's been the story of the world. That the church exists to gather up people who are weary and wandering. And we have to regain that again. And we're only going to do that when we're willing to wield the skill of persevering hope as a people. So let's grow in that together, right? 
Let's come to the Lord as His people now.